A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My name is Alex, and I'm an experienced park ranger with years of service under my belt. I never could have imagined the terrifying ordeal that awaited me when I agreed to lead a team of scientists and archaeologists on an expedition to study an ancient Native American settlement in a remote, uncharted area of the National Park. As we delved deeper into the ruins, the atmosphere grew heavy with a palpable sense of history. The settlement was remarkably well-preserved, a testament to the ingenuity of the people who had once called it home. But as we continued our exploration, we stumbled upon a horrifying scene. The bodies of over 50 people, all brutally slaughtered. It soon became apparent that the settlement had been ravaged by a long, dormant, supernatural creature, a wendigo that killed people on sight. The mere mention of its name sent shivers down our spines, and we knew that we had to find a way to stop the creature before it could wreak further havoc. As we searched for answers, we found a series of runes etched into the walls of a hidden cave. The symbols told the story of the Wendigo, its origins, and most importantly, the method to banish it 
from this world. With no time to lose, we work together to decipher the runes and perform the ritual needed to rid the world of the Wendigo. The air crackled with energy as we recited the ancient incantation, and the Wendigo let out a blood-curdling scream that echoed throughout the settlement. As the creature writhed in agony, it finally vanished, banished from this realm by the power of the ancient magic. But as we stood among the ruins, our relief was tempered by the knowledge that we were too late to save the lives of those who had fallen victim to the Wendigo's wrath. The settlement, once a thriving community, now stood as a haunting community, now stood as a haunting testament to the dark forces that had brought about its demise. As we returned to the park, the weight of our discovery weighed heavily upon us. The ancient settlement and the tragic fate of its inhabitants would remain a somber reminder of the mysteries that lay hidden within the depths of the national park, and the darkness that sometimes lurked just beneath the surface of our world. I found myself panting heavily as I leaned against a tree trunk, my heart pounding in my chest. The events of the night had left me shaken to the core, my mind struggling to comprehend the horrors we had just witnessed. It all began when our group of amateur hikers, led by our fearless adventurer Norris, stumbled upon an abandoned ranger station deep within Yellowstone National Park. The ranger station stood before us weathered and worn by the passage of time. Its windows were shattered and the door hung loosely on its hinges. Intrigued by the mysterious history that clung to the structure, we made the impulsive decision to spend the night, oblivious to the station's haunting past, as the sun dipped below the horizon casting an eerie glow over the surrounding forest. Darkness fell upon us like a suffocating blanket. We gathered inside our flashlights cutting through the thick veil of shadows that consumed the station. Unease settled upon our group, and an unspoken tension hung in the air. It began subtly with faint whispers carried on the wind, disembodied voices that seemed to echo from the walls themselves. Goosebumps prickled along my arms as the ethereal sounds intensified, words I couldn't quite make out but which carried an undeniable sense of anguish. Suddenly, ghostly apparitions flickered into existence before our startled eyes. Figures translucent and hazy materialized and disappeared in an instant. We caught glimpses of tormented souls forever trapped in the realm between life and death, their sorrow etched into their spectral faces. A shudder ran down my spine as my gaze shifted toward the open doorway. Emerging from the darkness was a creature unlike anything I had ever seen before. It crouched, its long, emaciated arms hanging down against its sides. The skin stretched tight over the prominent ribs of its bony chest. What I had initially mistaken for white fur was, in fact, its sickly, pale, death-like skin with eerie gray undertones. The creature's head was that of a human, but one ravaged by malnutrition and decay. Its hollow eyes were disproportionately large, reflecting the faint glimmers of sunlight, and they seemed to pierce through my very soul. With a guttural growl, it lunged toward us, teeth bared in a sinister snarl. Pure terror surged through our veins, overpowering our sense of curiosity. We turned and fled, racing into the night, 
driven solely by an instinct to survive. As we burst through the tree line into a small clearing, our heaving breaths were momentarily stilled by the sight of a park ranger jeep parked nearby. Relief flooded over us, and we quickly huddled together, sharing our terrifying encounter with the park ranger. But our hopes of finding solace and reassurance were shattered as he dismissed our story with a scoff. His eyes bore an expression of skepticism, and he chalked it up to hallucinations induced by drug use. We pleaded with him, our voices trembling with desperation, assuring him that we were clear, headed, and what we had experienced was all too real. But the ranger remained unmoved, dismissing us as mere fools who had wandered into the realm of hallucinatory nightmares. Defeated and dejected, we trudged away from the ranger station, our minds forever scarred by the horrors we had faced. I was going through the hiking trails with my dog behind my town's local high school fairly late one night. I had gone there plenty of times before since I was young, so I wasn't frightened. While I was walking my dog, he kept trying to stop and was whimpering, which was strange because he is normally a very brave dog. After walking for about ten minutes longer, I heard huge branches crashing and breaking. That's when I started to become frightened and decided to turn back. While walking back, I could tell that something was following me. I was terrified. Suddenly, after a minute of calmness, this creature leaped in front of me, across the trail. The creature had long, dark fur and was enormous. It wasn't a bear. It was like a very muscular, huge wolf. After seeing this, I picked up my dog and sprinted off the trail without seeing it again. That was easily one of the most terrifying nights of my life. This afternoon, about 5 p.m., I had went to pick up my daughter from work. She works in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, right near the high school. I parked in the lot, which is backed up to a little wooded-like area, and was reading Facebook on my phone while I waited. I had this feeling of being watched come over me. I started looking around and turned in my seat to look into the trees to see if I saw anything, and I saw this big, dark figure standing there watching me. I turned back around in my seat, hoping it didn't realize I seen it, and lifted my phone up just enough to film it in my rearview mirror. You can see it moving around. It even stands up taller for a bit before ducking back down. I needed to see if I could get a better look, because I was starting to second-guess myself and what I was seeing. As I opened my car door and stepped out, I moved to the back of my car, and looked, and I heard what sounded similar to a deep growl, and it bolted into the trees. It was so fast I didn't get a good look at it. I cannot say 100% that what I am looking at is a dogman, but it's something let me know what you think. Since it was summer break from my school, I was lazily lounging at home, watching TV. I got bored, so I went outside to see if I could do anything with my chickens, like feed them worms and snails. Before I go into more detail, I should explain the area I live in. My home is on the outskirts of the city I live in. 
I had about five or seven chickens at the time, and we hadn't expanded the coop, so it was a small pen connecting to two sides of the chicken coop, which is wooden and sturdy. The only ways to get into the coop is either through. The trapdoor attached to the big door in the three windows. One window is on one side of the door and the second window on the other side. The third window is a large window. Keep in mind that they all have traps connected to them so they can be closed. We have seven acres of woodland that we call the back pasture. And if you've ever been back there, you could see that it's a popular habitat for the local deer. There was also a wild boar that was roaming around at the time, and I don't know how it got there. We had been having trouble with poachers for a while, considering the population of deer in the woods. One poacher had set up a trail cam, one that was motion, activated. There was an old rusty deer stand that had been put on a tree a long time ago, and the tree had begun to grow around it. Beyond our acres of woods, there's a large cornfield owned by our neighbors, and beyond that is a forest. I don't know what the forest is like beyond the field, since we've never been there. I went outside to do something with my chickens, and I had brought along a bucket of corn for feeding the deer after. When I walked out of my home, I saw a doe was sitting in the tall grass. I thought it was sleeping, since it had its head down and wasn't moving. I, being the curious little nut I was, decided that I would sneak up on the deer and get a picture of it to show to my mother when she got home from work. I crept as silently as I could across the yard that separated me from the deer. I should also mention that we have a clearing with a burn pit in it that was filled with cedar branches. I was creeping across my yard towards the deer, and when I had cleared the burn pit and was about ten yards from it, I realized that the deer wasn't asleep, but it was dead. It was the most disgusting sight I had ever seen. Its intestines were completely gone. The flesh on the body of the doe shredded to pieces and blood, absolutely everywhere. It looked as if it had been sitting there for a while, and it smelled like it, too. Most of the blood was dried, and the air reeked with the stench of rotting flesh. Urine, and what seemed like a hint of wet dog. Something that creeped me out about the scene was although it was a rotting carcass. There were no insects at all around it. It was as if the usual lively forest was deader than the deer. Not even the neighbor's cattle made a sound. It looked as if the poor deer had simply been left after being brutally attacked and half-eaten, which it most likely was. I left the bucket at the beginning of the trail, thinking that I would come out later with my mother and grain the deer when she got home. Then I started to walk back to my house. I had barely taken a few steps when I heard a low, snarling growl that sounded like a wolf, although it seemed distorted as if it were being played on an old radio Sorry, that's the only way I think of describing it. Against my better judgment, I turned my head around and I saw what looked like the biggest freaking wolf I'd ever seen. It was on all fours. Its fur was black and matted in places. Its face was what you'd expect a wolf to look like, although it was broad and the muzzle seemed a little short. Although the way it was curling its lips made it look as if its snout was plenty long and its eyes were yellow. Not a bright yellow like the yellow of a flower or the sun, but a dim, amber, red-yellow, if that makes sense. Its ears looked like that of a Doberman pincer with a cropped effect. 
Its front legs were long, and it looked as if it were a bodybuilder. Its paws, if you can even call them paws, looked like huge hands with long claws at the end of them. It stood up, and I heard the most sickening, popping sound you could ever imagine. It sounded like the sound of popping joints, but it seemed amplified as if it were being played through a microphone and the sound was coming out of loudspeakers. Its body looked like a bodybuilder's pumped up on steroids. It was so big. It had no tail that I could tell, and it seemed to tower over me, although I was a good ten meters from it. I was about five foot four inches at the time, and I came nowhere close to its height. It was so tall that the tip of its ears could almost touch the top of a young cedar. It let out a loud howl, which sounded more like a roar, and it charged at me. Doing the only thing I knew to do while hyped up on fear and adrenaline, I began to run away from it. I remember clearing my yard in what seemed like hours but was most likely only a few seconds and running inside, slamming and locking all of the doors and windows. As I calmed down a small bit, I had realized that if it had really wanted to kill me that it would have, that what I had experienced was not an attack charge but a bluff. I was lucky to get away with my life. Although this happened almost two years ago, it still terrifies me to think about it. The deer was gone the next day, and ever since that evening I have been weary around the woods, only going in them in broad daylight, only when I absolutely had to, and never without a weapon. Sadly, I cannot say that I am one of those people that have stopped experiencing things after the encounter, although I only had nightmares for a month after that day in June. Nothing really started to happen again until about two months ago when I was staying up at night playing on the laptop. I had started to hear things moving around on the porch and turned on the light to see the shape of something huge disappearing behind the corner of my house. There was also one of the rare times I went into the woods after the first encounter when I was helping my mother clear brush from the hunting clearing. I was going to get the mower and was walking the trail to do so when I heard bipedal footsteps following me off to my side. They stopped whenever I stopped, and I eventually ran out of the woods, and I haven't been back since. I asked my late great-grandmother about the creature I'd seen in the woods, and she informed me that there was something called the Wolfhead Man that stalked the Kansas tribe, preying on small children that strayed too far from their teepees. Later, I was informed by my history teacher that my house had actually been built on a tribal burial ground, and I have since been wondering if that had something to do with it. I hadn't heard about the wolfhead man before she had told me about it. When I saw that there were several eyewitness reports that were proved to be truthful, it made me feel a lot better about coming out with this information. I'd attempted to tell people previous to this submission, but everyone either said I was stupid, crazy, or just a plain liar. One thing's for certain. I am not stupid. I am not stupid. I am not crazy. And I am most definitely not a liar. I know what I saw, and what I saw was a dogman. My background is neuroscience and biology, nothing out of the ordinary for an academic. I've worked for multiple pharmaceutical companies. I was even one of the early employees at Eli Lilly's neuroscience division. 
At a medical device company, I was in college during the tail end of the Cold War when Reagan was in office, and the evil empire was still around. I had a couple of friends, John and Pat, for the story. They were on top, secret clearances as part of some army intelligence programs. John was one of the smartest people I ever knew, with a genius, level IQ, easily in the top 1% of people. Pat was in John's same grad school program. They were part of a special operations unit in the U.S. Army working on top-secret biological warfare research, believe it or not. I don't know all the details, but they were most likely involved in creating pathogens. John and Pat were tight-lipped about their project for obvious reasons, but they were pretty open about how easy it was to create biological weapons. They mentioned the possibility of maybe having created some sort of pathogen that was incurable. John had a brother who worked at Fort Detrick. John talked about him crying when he found out what they were working on. His brother told him that nobody would believe them if they ever spilled the beans about what was really going on. Years go by, John and Pat get out of the Army and are immediately enlisted in this government project that was busy investigating various chemical and biological agents. They were tasked with creating new kinds of pathogenic weapon. I forget what they called it, but basically they were trying to create new strains of pathogens that they could then use in experiments on animals. They were tasked with finding the best way to create new pathogens without being detected. They were able to take samples of various kinds of engineered viruses and use them as a vector for a new kind of pathogen, test each one on animals. This would allow them to learn a lot about the best way to create new pathogens without having to use them. John and Pat said this was really easy, even without using live viruses as vectors. They could simply extract the genetic material from the pathogen, find a vector so it could be transferred into another organism, like harmless bacteria, for example, and then test it. The product of this kind of experiment is a pathogen that can be used as a weapon but it would be a biological weapon that could never be traced back to its source. At some point in their tenure at this project, they received a call from the Pentagon. They were told that one of the samples they'd been testing was extremely dangerous, and it had somehow gotten loose. They were told to pack up their stuff immediately and leave the premise and not say a word about what had happened and what they had worked on. They were discharged, for lack of a better word, from the project altogether and given $200,000 each in settlement under the table. They had no idea how it happened that this pathogen had got out of the lab, but it was later very quickly contained by military personnel before ever reaching civilian territory. Shortly thereafter, John and Pat were immediately moved into the bioweapons division that worked on creating humanoids of various kinds by intersplicing DNA of a variety of species with the ultimate goal to create a superhuman soldier. I don't remember the details he told me, but they worked on creating a new type of being with superhuman abilities that, if it ever escaped, would be virtually unstoppable. Fortunately, that has not happened. Pep told me that because of his past history, John was considered a security risk, and he was not allowed to be anywhere near the facility where this new type of being was being created. Pat apparently wasn't allowed on, sight, 
only on the periphery of where he would be stationed, looking at security feeds. I asked Pat what had happened with this bioweapons division. He told me that it started as a joint CIA and military project, but it fell more and more into the control of the military as its life went on. Pat had suspicion that something had happened. Apparently, there was a falling out between the head of the CIA, and the CIA eventually lost total control of the project. I don't really remember the details, but he said it soon became very obvious that the military was now conducting experiments, creating new weapons based on designs and ideas from this project. Tad had a feeling that they were, in some way, responsible for creating a new kind of pathogen, and they would use it in some experiments in the field. I don't remember who they were experimenting on, but Pat said it was very obvious that they were no longer in control. There's a lot more to the story, but I asked him if he could give me some specific examples of something that had happened in the field. He told me he'd have to think about it. The next time we talked, he told me that it seemed like all the lawsuits that came out of the U.S. soldiers who were exposed to something in Iraq, that's what it seemed like to him. I even asked him if he could explain that a little bit better since I was having trouble understanding. He told me that at first there were rumors and concerns about a new type of pathogen, and then that's when lawsuits emerged. He thinks they were being told to put soldiers from Iraq into quarantine. He thinks that's what the lawsuits were about, as if there was some sort of big cover-up. I asked him if he can tell me more about what had happened. Was this some sort of new virus? He explained no, but he was not allowed to tell me any more than that. He's already spoken too much. I don't want to push him, so we moved on with the conversation, going back to the biolife forms that they were working on. He informed me that several of these subjects were still being created and worked on today. They were initially designed to be used during the Iraq War in the early 2000s, but for reasons unbeknownst to him, the plug was somehow pulled and bioweapons were not used. That was part of the reason 9-11, I guess, was originally conducted, due to pressure from the CIA, military, and other shadow branches of government putting pressure to have means to test these new subjects. Of course, among many other reasons, but that's a rabbit hole he did not dive deep into. Again, he thinks the U.S. government has used these new life forms in some capacity, and it's most likely happening without people even realizing he said during his time they were working on humanoids and the project was still in its infancy when he left. He stated that they were nowhere near mature enough to be used and the only reason he was still employed at the facility is that they needed people to help run these experiments. This was, of course, the pre-alpha stage, as he calls it. He said that they would bring these deformed humanoids to him and he was supposed to experiment on them but there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, of course. This was all before he was banned from the facility, only working the security feed, and long before John was banned. Pat had been told that he was being used to run tests on these humanoids, but there were other things going on where he was also being used to experiment. One of these said experiments was the J-Rod, who became well known for making contact with several other high-ranking military and government officials. Again, he did not go into detail, but mentioned there were these groups that put together, made up of various divisions of the military, to make contact. 
He did not want to go into any further detail with that. I told him I understood. I asked him if there was anything else he wanted to add. And he told me that the whole time he was working there, he was still trying to figure out what the whole facility was about. And that's why it took him so long to leave. It wasn't until he began to see the humanoids that he began to realize it was something more than just military experiments. Pat said that at the time, the facility was beyond top secret, and then even most of his co-workers didn't know exactly what they were doing at first. This was before the experiments really began. They had to go in blind at first while things were being set up. They were forbidden to ask too many questions. He even told me the only reason why he was able to see the humanoids is because of his rank and his tour of duty. Most people were not allowed to see them, and the ones who did had their lives threatened. Pat stated that he is fairly certain that the old facility is now sold, and it's now a part of an advanced military-industrial complex. He also mentioned that there are corporations involved with whatever is going on. He said that part of what made it so difficult to leave was because there were people watching him, and he knew that if he left with the sensitive information he had, his life could be threatened. He was also scared that the new military personnel at the facility might try and do harm to him or his family. The reason I told the story to the person I did is that it was something that really stuck out in my mind when he said it. I knew that I had to share it with somebody, and this site seemed like a good place. That was the first I'd ever heard of Pat talking about the facility, and when I think about it, he still knows a lot of information. He was in charge of a good portion of a large military base, after all. Pat has been retired for quite some time now, and he's in his late 60s. I think it's fair to say that he's old enough and retired enough not to necessarily fear for his life. Pat has lived a full life at this point. In conclusion, I hope you take the information here to heart and understand that our government and military do not have your best interest. We are but cattle for them to slaughter and experiment on. Our lives mean nothing to the greater good of humanity and country. These kinds of things, not specifically bioweaponry, but experimenting, have been going on for a very, very long time. I think we're just now seeing a lot of it coming to the surface, and it's scaring people. Remember to always think for yourself, and know that eventually, the truth will come out. One final quick note. All the information here might seem disorganized and disingenuous, but all the intel I've gathered for you is a combination of information I've gathered from over years and years of conversations with Pat and John alike. So if there are any details that overlap or don't make sense, just know that and try to put all the pieces together yourself. Besides, I've given you all the information. I hope this is enough. My family has a ranch in South Texas. After a particularly long day clearing brush, my dad, uncle, and I hopped in our truck and headed up toward the trailer. It was dusk when we left, so the sun had just begun to droop below the cedar and mesquite brush line. Now it was about a 20-minute drive back to the trailer, so by the time we began pulling up the dirt path, it had gotten pretty dark. 
Dad hopped out of the truck to unlock the gate, and that's when all three of us heard this horrible scream, followed by a ton squealing sounds. Growing up on a ranch, you hear a ton of different sounds and see millions of different sights. It's hard to put into words, but this sounded like what I'd imagined death would. After several consecutive seconds, less than a minute, but definitely longer than 30, the squealing stopped and was followed by several thunderous booms that shook the truck we had taken refuge in. From the direction of the sounds, a herd of several dozen hogs stampeded toward us. These weren't javelina or other small game. No, these were full-grown, big-ass hogs running right toward us. Several slammed head first into the passenger side of the truck. As with the squealing, the stampede ended as quickly as it began with the hogs disappearing into the brush. The next morning, we went out to inspect the damage. The damage to the truck was incredible. Massive dents with clumps of blood and fur attached in various places. Several piglets and smaller hogs were trampled or died from contact with the truck. We decided to trace the source of the stampede, where we had first heard the squealing, so we made our way through the thicket of cat-claw and mesquite brush until we found it. Three, possibly four piglets were absolutely slaughtered, torn apart, and a coyote lay dead and bloodied right in the middle of it. The worst part, a large hunting knife embedded in the coyote. That's when we realized there was someone else out there that night. I work at a Boy Scout camp in the Sierras called Camp Wolfboro. The camp runs for the summer and seven weeks of not interacting with anyone but children, and the other staff makes us a little crazy. We get bored and do stupid stuff metal detecting at 2 a.m. because of it. So anyway, I was walking around at around 11 p.m. with my friend Colin when he just dead stops in the middle of the trail and says we're being watched. He's in the military, so I assume he knows this shit, and I stop and start looking around for someone or something. Colin points off into the tree line, and we see two shining eyes looking at us from around 30 yards off. He whispers Bigfoot, and as if on cue, this big-ass Bigfoot stands up and just stares at us. We, being Boy Scouts, are prepared for this situation and start cussing it out at the top of our lungs, while making hand motions and walking away slowly, it lumbers off. I work on a vehicle ferry. It's a short route only two miles across a river, 24-hour service. Every half hour, I'm walking through the boat from the deck to the pilot house. I was on the biggest of our four boats, which has two long hallways in the passenger lounge, connected at each end with a semi-large foyer. There are windows along each hallway. It's 1.30 a.m. and the lights are on inside, so I can only see reflections in the windows instead of seeing the darkness outside. I'm approaching the end of the left hallway, and in my peripheral, I see the reflection of a woman in white with waterlogged long black hair covering her face. She was standing in the foyer ahead of me. I swung my head to look at the reflection straight on, but she wasn't there anymore. I slowly looked around the corner and into the foyer, but there wasn't anyone there. I hightailed it into the pilot house and didn't tell my crew in case they joked on me. I saw her again going down the same hallway in the same manner, 
two hours later. I watched the show Supernatural, so I started carrying a vial of salt with me in case that would actually work to dispel it enough for me to run. I've asked around. The only person that died on the ferries was a chief engineer two decades ago due to a heart attack, and that was on another boat. Definitely not a female and not drowned. It was the year 2010, a couple of years after the initial sighting, that had left our small town shrouded in mystery and fear. Life had seemingly returned to normal, but the memory of that fateful day was still etched in our minds. My brother and I lived in a house that bordered a dense and eerie forest. We had a trampoline in the backyard which, until that day, had been a source of endless joy and laughter. One sunny afternoon, my brother was out on the trampoline, enjoying his favorite pastime of listening to music and bouncing away. Little did he know that this innocent playtime would take a dark and terrifying turn. As he sat in the middle, lost in the rhythm of his music, he suddenly felt something strike his head, a stick followed by a small rock. Bewildered, he looked around, trying to figure out what had just happened. Before he could make sense of the situation, another stick hit him, this time with more force. Startled and alarmed, he turned his gaze towards the source of the projectiles. And that's when he saw it, the skinman. The mere sight of the creature froze him with fear. It was no more than ten. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Feet away, poised to throw yet another object at him. The skinman was an enigmatic and terrifying figure that had been the topic of whispered conversations and chilling stories circulating in our town. Descriptions of the creature were inconsistent, but all accounts agreed on its haunting appearance. An entity that seemed to be a part of the forest itself, its skin resembling the gnarled bark of ancient trees, my brother's heart pounded in his chest as he locked eyes with the creature. He struggled to refocus his vision and fully comprehend what he was witnessing. The skinman held something in its hand, ready to strike again. Fear and panic gripped my brother, and with an instinctive cry, he screamed at the creature to leave him alone. In that moment, something shifted, and the skinman retreated into the thick brush of the forest, disappearing as quickly as it had appeared. My brother was left trembling and shaken, the adrenaline coursing through his veins, leaving him feeling like a mere puppet to his terror. 
In the days that followed, my brother refused to venture outside, terrified of encountering the skinman once more. He became a prisoner in our own home, haunted by the memory of that chilling encounter. It seemed that the forest held secrets that defied explanation, and the skinman remained a haunting specter that lurked in the shadows of our lives. As the years passed, our town's encounter with the skinman became a cautionary tale recounted in hushed tones to scare younger generations from wandering too close to the forest edge. People wondered if it was a figment of our imaginations, a manifestation of our deepest fears, or something altogether otherworldly. Yet for my brother and me, it was an experience that we could never forget. The day we came face to face with the inexplicable, a creature that defied all rational explanation. And though life eventually moved on, the forest remained an enigma, holding its secrets close, and the memory of the skinman would forever be etched in our hearts as a reminder of the thin veil between reality and the unknown. I live very close to a town in Northern Ireland, except my house is behind a park. Therefore, you wouldn't really know you're in the town, and there's a lot of trees and wildlife. It's very private and secluded. I regularly go through the park as a shortcut at night. When it's closed and there is no one there, which is a female, is quite dangerous. I know, but so far I've been okay. Last summer, I climbed over the gate as normal and started walking my usual route over the hill, except I suddenly experienced what I can only describe as the like a massive surge in adrenaline, which literally made me freeze on the spot. It was like an eerie, evil feeling that creeped over me, and I felt so exposed and vulnerable. It felt like something was going to jump out and attack me. I have never, ever had this feeling in my life, only I can only compare it to how an animal feels when it's being hunted as prey, mixed with the feeling of pure evil during sleep paralysis. I quickly scoured my eyes over the hill and stopped dead on some creature that was walking casually over the hill. It locked eyes with me and suddenly stopped and sort of crouched down like a tiger about to pounce. The creature was like a mixture of what I can only describe as a human and a wolf. It was like a massive dog with its shoulders far higher than its hand and a long sort of body. It had big, long forelegs, which is sort of a knee bend like humans and shorter hind legs. The head of the creature was like a wolf with a pointed nose, and it was like a dark gray color and hairless. The thing that stood out to me was its eyes, though. They were massive and round and glowing like a bright orange. It actually looked like its eyes were on fire, like glowing ember orbs. When it saw me, like I said, it crouched down and froze, and we had a stare-off for a few seconds while I fully prepared for my death until I turned round and ran for my life. I jumped over the gate and looked back and saw it running on all fours across the hill like it wanted to hide. With its long forearms, it looked like a human running on all fours. The feeling was so inhuman, even ungodly, and since that day, it's safe to say I haven't ventured into the park at night again.
I was driving in the woods, Wisconsin, during quarantine on my ATV, and I was driving down this one path when I saw something white or pale in the corner of my eye, a natural color in this area, and I immediately hit the brakes. After looking around for a bit, I then felt a feeling of immense dread felt and like I was being watched. I then started looking towards where I saw it, and I see something in the bushes around 50 yards out. It started to move a bit, but I could sort of make out a humanoid form. It was on four legs at the time. I then took a small glance towards the sky, and it started to get dark. I then looked down at it, and it got closer. The feeling was much stronger. I started the ATV again and drove back to my house. I came back later and looked at where it was, and I could not find it, but I could hear some sounds from the distance. I have since moved and carried a combat knife with me in the woods now. I was just curious about what this could be. Should I go look for it again? I'm not sure if this information is of any interest or worth anything to you, but I will give it to you and let you decide. Back in early September of 1987, on a Sunday evening, me, my wife, and a friend drove up on the pass to try our luck fishing at Torso Lake. It is one of the lakes in the Link Lake Basin, close to the base of Mount Washington. Anyway, here's what happened. My friend and I were fishing in different direction around this small lake, fishing the edges with our fly rods for rising brook trout. There was an old guy and his middle-aged son also fishing the lake that evening in their drift boat, and there was a lone guy and his cat camping at the lake while his partner for pre-commercial tree thinning was in sisters buying supplies. All started out just fine, and the fish were biting. As I was moving to a new casting location, I thought I'd heard a distant roar, for lack of a better word. This happened three or four times, but as bad luck would have it, I was moving through low brush each time, and masked the roar from me, and by the time I could stop and listen, the roar had ended. I passed it of as nothing or the wind. My friend had worked his way to the other side of the lake from me, the same side that I'd thought I'd heard the roar. I then noticed he was moved back around the lake and not stopping to fish. Also, the old guy and his son were paddling fast towards the boat put in spot. I thought this was weird because the fish were active that evening, and we still have about 45 minutes of prime time, fishing till dark. When my friend reached me, he asked if I'd heard the noise. I asked him what noise, and was it the noise? That sounded like a roar. He said yes, just then on the far side of the lake. Just back in the timber, this thing let out a tremendous roar. The decimal level was very high. I could send it out to you, but I don't know how to write it so that you'd get the exact feeling, so you'd know just how tremendous this roaring was. Kind of a roar, and then turning to a high-pitched scream, and very, very loud, almost rumbling the ground. Anyway, we looked at each other and said, let's get out of here. We reached the primitive boat ramp just as the two boat fishermen were loaded their boat up and getting out of there. All of this time, the thing was just letting loose, and it sounded very pissed. The old guy said he's been hunting and fishing for years and had never heard anything like this, and he wasn't going to hang around and find out what it was or why it was so mad. And just that fast, they were in their pickup and gone. 
The guy in the tent was really scared. His buddy wasn't back yet, and his cat was in the tent going completely crazy. The cat was scared to death and was trying to tear the tent apart. He just kept asking me, what the hell is that? I told him I had no idea. My wife was in my car all this time with my two young sons, and she was very scared and want to leave as fast as we could. You have to remember, all of this time, whatever it was, and just going nuts on the far side of the lake. About 200 yards away, the roar was so loud and so weird. Whatever it was, it did not want us around. We loaded up our stuff and we left. I felt bad for the lone guy, but he didn't ask for a ride out, and my wife and friend were yelling. They wanted out of there. Now I've logging from the time I was 14 till I was 35, and the timber industry went bad. I've hunted coyotes, deer, and elk my whole life. In fact, I'm a bow hunter and have spent many hours bugling elk, so I know the sounds they make. I have seen over 40 bears in the wild and have heard their sounds a number of times. I will guarantee you it wasn't one of those animals in all the years. I have spent in the woods. I've never seen anything like this before or since. If you'd like more information, I will gladly give it to you. About two years ago, me and my friend were smoking in the forest at around 2 a.m. For some context, this wasn't a U.S.-style camping trip in the deep woods. This forest is on the outskirts of London, Pole Hill, if anyone's interested. And we used to hang out there in our little den and blaze. We knew the area very well, and we obviously didn't have to worry about mountain lions or anything, and we always felt reasonably safe. So we're sitting there, toking away, when all of a sudden, we hear this noise coming from what sounded like about five, ten meters away. It was loud and sounded like a really big gas valve being opened for a few seconds and then closed, with a kind of pop at the end, or that noise a hot-eat balloon makes as it fills up. We were more confused and curious than scared as we knew there were no gas tanks or pipes or any hot air balloons anywhere near us. But it was enough to make us both jump. It was especially strange because it was just not at a mysterious or creepy location. Just a smallish wood mostly used by dog walkers. You'd go there for a walk as opposed to a hike. Anyway, we decided to check out a bit in the direction it came from, and when we couldn't find anything and we started joking about invisible aliens, and I actually started to feel afraid, then we saw about five people with lights coming across a small clearing towards us. Oddly, they weren't really walking together and were all separated by a couple of meters, and the torches they had were like 50-centimeter-long strip lights. We didn't feel threatened. More like we just weren't supposed to be there, so we left pretty hastily. We felt like they were looking for whatever made the sound. My friend likes to say an alien ship landed near us, and we saw some government officials going to meet them. I would welcome a more rational explanation. My best is that there is indeed some sort of gas outlet totally hidden in the brambles near our den, and the people were just British gas employees. Still seems strange, though. I currently live near Portland, Oregon, 
I was recently talking to a neighbor about a strange encounter he had while working at Crater Lake National Park back in the late 1980s. The man was clearing brush and repairing a trail. One evening, soon after he clocked out, he realized he had forgotten his work bag, so he drove back to the work site. He began walking along the trail that led to where he had been working. It was then that he felt a presence like something was watching him. He says that at the time he had no idea what it was, but knew it was definitely there. He continued walking and heard a strange singing sound coming from the forest. It was like a woman or a child was out there. He said it was haunting and strange. He said it seemed to be coming from the direction where he had been working, which made him apprehensive about continuing. As a result, he became so concerned that he decided to retrieve the bag the next day. So he turned around and headed back to his truck. He began walking back, but heard footsteps in the distance behind him. He turned around, but saw no one. So he quickened his steps and continued walking. He then heard footsteps following him and keeping pace with him. When he stopped, he said it wasn't long before he felt an overwhelming sense of danger. He began to run back to his truck. Just before he reached his truck, he turned around, and that's when he saw it. He observed two bluish-colored eyes looking at him through the darkness. He said that there was evil in those eyes. As he watched, the rest of the creature gradually came to him. What he saw was humanoid in appearance and pale gray in color. He said it kept low. He was transfixed by the sight and paralyzed. It slowly crept towards him. Its head looked alien-like in appearance. It then stopped and stared at him without blinking. Then it quickly turned and disappeared into the undergrowth. After standing there shocked and paralyzed for a minute or two, he moved. He was intrigued by what he had witnessed. He then stepped forward to try to find this being and looked around for thirty minutes. He could not locate anything. There was no sign of it at all. He eventually gave up his search and walked back to his truck. He returned to where he first heard the singing sounds, and now there were tracks that looked like dog tracks, but were quite large. There were only four toes on each print, rather than the five that you would expect from a normal dog. After looking at these tracks for a few minutes, trying to figure out what made them, he had this strange sensation. His mind went blank, and he couldn't remember why he was there or what had happened. He then decided to leave the area and head home. The next day, while at work, his boss radioed him and asked if he had seen anything strange in that area. Another worker reported seeing something unusual. He said yes and described the humanoid creature with gray skin and evil eyes. His boss was dismissive, and he attempted to explain it away. He and his boss went to the area to look for the tracks. Once they arrived at the area, and after looking around for a few minutes, he remembers that his mind went blank again. He blacked out again like before, and when he looked up from the tracks, his boss was missing. He then glanced at his watch. Over two hours had passed. It was now mid-afternoon, and he couldn't remember the previous two hours. That terrified him. He walked back to the parking lot, hoping to find his truck. It was still there. He got in and immediately returned to the main station where his boss was sitting in his office. He asked him what had happened, but his boss just looked up as if nothing had occurred. His boss asked him casually how his day was progressing, as if nothing had transpired earlier. That was his last day working at Crater Lake.
He realized he had encountered an otherworldly entity and wanted nothing to do with it. In the many years since that incident, he has never experienced anything out of the ordinary. But he stays away from Crater Lake and never plans to return to the park. I live in Chicago in East Garfield. In June 2017, I was at a local grocery store buying food. I walked to my car, loaded the two bags into my back seat, then got into the driver's seat. As I started the car, to my shock, a young pale-skinned woman with long, dark hair was sitting on the passenger side. The first thing I noticed were her cold black eyes. She looked right into my eyes and said, I need help. Please help me. She literally looked like the walking dead or zombie. I told her to get out, but she insisted that I take her to the hospital. I was scared. We weren't too far from the hospital, so I headed there. If she was crazy, I thought that I would placate her. We were about two blocks away and at a red light when she suddenly jumped out of the car, took a few steps and vanished. No trace of her. She didn't appear like a ghost, but she was solid in form. It was as if she ran through an invisible doorway. The next day, I felt sick to my stomach, and my eyes were sore and red. I believe it had something to do with this black-eyed woman. I didn't feel 100% until a week later, and the terrible nightmares continued for months. This may not be related, but some of my family and friends had unexplained activity in their homes, including my brother. He lived a few blocks from me and swears there was a demon in his basement. He and his girlfriend would not venture down there and soon moved away. He had terrible dreams as well. I wish I knew what was going on. Some years back, I worked at a concrete plant myself in an old quarry, which used to be part of a large estate, so the area was mostly mature woodland. This was December in Scotland, so it was getting dark by 3 p.m. on a break. I took my Jack Russell out for a wander and deep in the woods spied a tent. Since the dog is a cunt, she ran over to inspect and I had to follow. J.R.'s refused to do if all they are told. Tent was old and the fly sheet was breaking up. I had to look inside, but only cost. There was no stench and the dog was there. Inside was a sleeping bag, steel mug and plate, with cutlery and a football, all covered in moss. My shit, scared mine, came over all Blair Witchy, and I kinda ran to the nearest light patch out of the trees, only to find the edge of the quarry wall going sixty feet or so down to water. I often wonder if the kid did the same as me and found the quarry edge or just left his perfectly good stuff. It was a Saturday morning when we had gone hunting for Bigfoot. The sky was overcast and gray, matching my mood perfectly until we pulled over on the side of the old highway. The moment I popped the trunk and slid my hand over the wooden stock of my grandfather's rifle, though, my focus returned. I cocked the gun in sync with a spark of rage that flared within the depths of my belly. I looked to my brother Darren, who had also taken his weapon in hand, though with noticeably lesser intent. Come on, Darren. Enough sulking. You know what we need to do. Yeah, yeah, I know. 
He slammed the trunk shut and slung his bag over his right shoulder, keeping the rifle in both of his hands as he trudged past me towards the woods. Let's just get this over with. His exasperation was on full display. It sickened me. I simply followed along, having nothing left to say. Our boots squished into the softened surface of the forest floor, following the 8V trail deeper into the wild. The smell of wet grass and rotting logs was overwhelming, only to become sickening once it meshed with the stink of the swamp. But the smell would not deter us. We followed the swamp's edge, keeping the water to our right. Our eyes, however, were constantly surveying the area, searching for any signs of the ancient ape, or perhaps signs of its victims. There wouldn't be anything left of Dad. We'd already been out here countless times before, ever since the creature had taken him. Darren still refused to believe his brother, let alone his own eyes, but I knew what we had seen that day. A dad taking his two preteen sons on a fishing trip, having great fun in the sun. It was the first time I had ever actually caught anything, which was still better than how Darren was doing. At one point, my kid brother started crying after one fish broke his line, and Dad had to console him. And as he did that, the shadow came. I watched it approach from its cover amongst the tree line, slow but steadily. When I pointed it out to him, Dad took a quick look before telling us to start walking away from the bear, backwards with care. We all had our eyes on the shadow, so we all were able to see when it dropped to all fours and began sprinting for us. Dad told us to run back to the car as he pulled out his pocket knife, trying to stand as tall and wide as he could to scare it off. Darren was crying in fear, so I had to pull him away, but that didn't stop me from watching. Soon enough, the beast was in front of my father and back standing on two legs, and it sure as hell wasn't a bear. If anything, it was a roided-out gorilla that hadn't skipped leg day. It blotted out the sun with its stature looming several feet over our dad. Darren and I had gotten to a safe distance where the beast didn't see us, but I could sure see them. I wanted to cry for dad to run, to scream at him to get out of there. But my throat closed up, choked by fear as I watched him stumble back. The knife dropped out of his hand and the monster roared in his face, revealing a set of flesh, ripping fangs. After that, my eyes were transfixed on the monster beating my father into a bloodied pulp, unable to avert my own gaze. It swung his body around wildly, slamming my father against tree and rock and ground alight. I would have assumed that the thing was using my dad as a plaything if it had not been for the pure feeling of rage that it exuded even to us up on the hill. My throat finally began to muster some small short cries as I witnessed the beast dragging the corpse back to whatever hellhole it called its home. I distinctly remember the size of its hand almost large enough to wrap around the entire length of my father's lower leg, the only leg that was left anyways. A good while after they had disappeared, I led Darren back to the car, and with snot and tears dribbling over the screen, I called Mom. I was finally able to utter something that resembled a word. Help, the police found the leg that the beast tore off a few days later, floating in the swamp. And the footprints fit the proportions, too. But the police ruled that we had just seen a bear attack and that the footprint size was due to the bear's paws spreading out in the mud. I didn't buy it. 
I never would. And now, as a grown man, I return to these woods every weekend to get revenge. Looking down at the ground, I stopped dead in my tracks. Darren, over here. My younger brother came sprinting back to me as I grinned and pointed. The same enormous footprints we'd only seen on a few occasions. What did I tell you? Jacob, they're the same prints from before. We've been over this. Those are... Don't. Don't say it again, I growled. Darren was far more willing to just conform to whatever the nice police officers told him, because it was easier to listen. It was easier to just pretend that what happened was something normal, and not our father being murdered by a Sasquatch. Do you see the pattern of the pads? This is not a bear's foot, and it ain't one of our boots. That there, that's the footprint of our Bigfoot. Darren just sighed and stood up. Come on, let's just lay the traps already. And you're on the first watch. It's way too early for me to deal with your crazy mess. Grumbling, I pulled my pack off and ruffled through its contents until I found the jaws. In one swift but heavy motion, I tossed my bag over towards my brother, which contained our leg traps. He cried out as the steel slammed against his shin. Ow! What is wrong with you? Darren always was an infant. Weak. It was for that very reason I dragged him out here each weekend, hoping that seeing the beast and confronting it would toughen him up and finally give us the closure we desperately needed. Hey, you asked for them. A rumble sounded through the trees. We both instantly grabbed our rifles and began scanning our surrounding, trying to catch any kind of movement. P.L.A.P.? My guard only began to lower as a raindrop crashed into the right lens of my glasses, warping half of my vision heavily. Just thunder, I murmured, putting my rifle down to clean my glasses. Prep the traps and come back over here quickly. We'll only be out here for a little bit today, I guess. Darren just groaned and snatched up the trap, storming away from me. With my vision fixed for the moment, I inspected my rifle and began to load it. If we were going to come across Bigfoot today, it'd have to be soon. It wouldn't be caught wandering around in a storm. The creature was smarter than that. I watched as Darren's figure grew hidden amongst the thin trees, wandering along our pre-established boundary to set the traps. Today we were trying cow livers as bait. We had been rotating the meat to see if any of them would have a better chance of attracting it. Darren thought it was just an expensive waste, but after just trying venison for two years straight with no results, something needed to change. By the time Darren was returning to our lookout spot, a thin mist had begun to fill the forest. The cold pierced through my sweater, so I was forced to zip up my puffer coat to keep warm. When he arrived, he tossed my bag back at me and plunked himself down with his back turned to me. I could hear the crinkling of his morning breakfast bar and groaned. You should be ready to kill that thing at any moment, not snacking. You're completely deluded, you know that. I didn't bother responding. Darren's mind was well made up at this point, and no amount of convincing or conversation would change it. Only the stone-cold corpse of the Sasquatch would make him see the truth now. For a moment I wondered what Sasquatch meat would taste like to myself. The rumblings of thunder grew more consistent, and the mist had thickened as we sat and waited. I was constantly having to wipe my glasses clean to remain vigilant, now blinded from water and fogging alike. 
After a little while, it was my turn to check on the traps. Brushing off the mud and leaves, I trotted through the brush, checking all the traps' positions. And as usual, Darren had completely mucked up all the placements. The lazy prick. So it was left to me to adjust them, moving them to spots that were slightly more hidden so it wasn't blatantly obvious to the beast that it was being hunted. Muttering under my breath, I fixed each trap and just moved on until the fourth trap of five. The cow liver was not there, but the trap had not closed shut, and the mud around the area was stomped and squished in various ways. The tingle of anticipation began to hurry my heartbeat, and I just stared at the device before calling out to Darren. Hey, Darren, you put livers on all the traps. Yeah, ugh, yes, Jake, I don't need your thunder roll again but I had heard enough from my brother to get my answer. I began to make my way back to our outpost, walking backwards at first and surveying my surroundings. Once I was certain no eyes were watching me from beyond my view, I raced back to my brother and slid back beside him. Darren began shouting at me and demanding to know what was wrong, but I shushed him quickly. Something took the liver on trap four, I whispered, trying to hide my simultaneous excitement and fear. So... It could have been some hungry bear, for all we know, or a coyote, or whatever kind of animal among the hundreds that live in the woods. Darren was expressing annoyance with me, but he too was whispering. He had to, in part, believe that something was out there. I ignored his sentiments and grinned. We gotta set up the tarp. We aren't going anywhere. We always made our sight near a trio of young trees shaped in a triangle so we could easily create a tarp roof if the weather was not in our favor. And with the way that rain was beginning to cut through the fog, we decided to do just that. Beneath the tarp, we continued our watch as water poured down before our eyes. Darren continued to whine that we should leave before we got struck by lightning, but I refused. The missing meat from the trap was already a sign that we needed to stay. In all of our time out here, only twice before had the meat been taken, and both times the trap had been shut, but we had never caught anything actually stuck in the traps. The beast mocked us, taunting us, wanting us to know that it was not just some random creature of the woods. It was greater than that. Time passed. The sky boomed above us. I gave myself but a moment to imagine that we were soldiers in Vietnam hunkering down in the rain, but staying awake in case of a sudden enemy attack. I was pulled from the thought by a hand on my shoulder. Whipping my head around, I saw Darren starting to get up. I need to stretch my legs. Gonna go check the traps. He started to leave, but turned back to look at me. We really should get going soon. The weather is awful. I shook my head without a word. Darren opened his mouth to say something else, but gave up and left. Huddling with my rifle, I shivered profusely in my cold, wet clothing. My hand was nearly frozen in place, clasped around the barrel. I could feel my knuckles locking up in their sockets. Crash! The crack of lightning erupted nearby. I witnessed a flash from between the trees. The rain began to fall faster, hitting the leafy forest floor like bullets from the heavens. I could feel my senses all beginning to be overwhelmed by the sensations of the wild. Arge! A scream. I pivoted in its direction and readied my rifle. It sounded like Darren, but I couldn't see him. Between the rain and my fog glasses, 
I wiped them off quickly, then looked again. There, it was still blurry, but there was no denying it. A large black figure raising its hands above its head and slamming down into the ground, attacking my poor brother, who was likely being beaten on the ground by it, out of my sight. I was not going to let Bigfoot take another member of my family. The rage was ignited. I ripped a bullet off my belt and slammed it into the chamber, then shoved the bolt forward and took my aim. The beast was still slamming at the ground. Maybe the trap had caught it in place. There was no time to waste. The crosshairs were aligned with its chest. I pulled the trigger without hesitation. The gunshot echoed through the trees louder than any thunderbolt had previously, and the bullet was a direct hit. I watched with widened eyes as the Sasquatch fell, clutching its chest before crumbling slowly to the ground. I scrambled to my feet, slipping and tripping in the mud and grass. My fingers screamed out in pain as I pulled myself past multiple trees, hurting from the cold. I kept the gun close to my side in case the job wasn't done yet. But finally, after all these years, I had finally struck back and avenged my father. I had slain Bigfoot. When I reached the spot where the Sasquatch had fallen, however, there was no beastly corpse, no massive muddy footprints imprinting its last path. I found only my brother, collapsed face first into the mud with his blood mixing in to form a foul sludge beneath his body.